The scripture lesson for today is Psalm 65, beginning with verse 5, a psalm of joy and reverence for God's work in the world. Let us listen now for God's word. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth, of the farthest seas. By your strength, you established the mountains, and you are girded with might. Your si- you silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. Those who live at earth's farthest bounds are awed by your signs. You make the gateways of the morning and the evening shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide the people with grain, for you have prepared it. You you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with richness. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain and they shout and sing together for joy. The word of the Lord. So let me begin by thanking Kathy Stark for her beautiful uh, work of painting, I guess, mostly uh, landscape and natural portraits. I don't know what else... You, you all do, Kathy, but I know we certainly appreciate your gift of this uh, uh, painting and the beautiful things that you, you do. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, I want you to know I've met our interim pastor. Uh, several of us have. Some of, the, some of you uh, that are on the, uh, the uh, uh, search committee have met uh, Conley, and some of our staff have met Conley, and I think you're going to like him. Um, he's really seems like a, a, a fun person and a person who's got a lot of energy. And uh, we have really important work to do as a congregation. And I think Conley will be a good leader to help us do that. I really believe that um, our RPC is at its best when it knows it has important work to do. And it, you have such an amazing talent and giftedness and faith, uh, so many uh, great uh, years of history to draw upon and vision as a people, and I'm really confident and excited about this transition and the future for this church. Um, Today is uh, Creation Care Sunday, as you know. The title of my sermon, Housekeeping, I I know a lot of you women are already smirking, what does Bill know about housekeeping? That's kind of a joke right there. But um, So our session through 
the Global Outreach and Peacemaking Committee wants to have at least once a year where we focus on this idea of the stewardship of the world. Um, I guess it's kind of like Women's History Month or Black History Month where when you really think about it, it's, it's a shame we even need to have a single time to focus on this issue or this topic because every day, every week, should, should, we should be, of course, conscious of the broadness of our community and of our vocation as stewards. And so caring about the environment, to me, it reminds me of when I was a little kid um, when we would go to my grandparents' house and there'd be a big family gathering and the children were, were supposed to eat at the children's table, which was in a different room, while the adults had their, their tables in, a, in another place. And so it, it's sort of like, well, you know, you're, you're here, but you're not really totally, you know, a part of it, which was fine for us as kids. But when I think about caring for the environment, it's almost like, well, you know, it's an additive, it's an add-on, it's a side issue, it's not central, it's not really how we live consciously every day, it's, it's something that we bring up now and then, and really, uh, who wants to listen to a preacher go off about environmental stuff, really? I mean, let's be honest, I mean, if I were to start I mean, even what Lisa said, you probably, the, the guilt started to come up, you know, right? You, you start, you, you hear the statistics and you think, oh man, yeah, I know, I know. And then, and then you start to get overwhelmed. It's like, well, the problems are massive. I mean, where do you start? It's not just about me and the plants in my yard. It's about the whole food system and the whole uh, energy system and and, and everything, and, and uh, you know, and so then you get sort of cynical and you realize how, how much these environmental concerns have become politicized and there's such a, a, a huge economic uh, impact in whatever, in whatever we do that affects the environment. There, there's dollar signs involved, there's a lot of vested interests, and to say nothing of the fact that it affects my comfort and my lifestyle. And which is almost the most sacred thing to me. And so, you know, there, there's this quote I came across, the climate chaos, from climate chaos to species extinction, the data of despair afflicts us. That's how I often feel when I start to think about environmental stewardship. Afflicted. And so it reminds me of the second scripture that we have today, uh, the reading of the gospel from Matthew, and I'm just going to read part of it. You know the story where Jesus is with a crowd of people in a deserted place, and, the, and, the, and, the, and Matthew picks up he's with this. When it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They didn't want anything to do with this problem. They were overwhelmed. They knew there was an issue. They knew food was needed, but they didn't want to be having to deal with it. They wanted to just kind of push it out there. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. 
you give them something to eat. And they kept resisting. They said, but we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish for this big crowd. And so that the resistance that we see in the disciples, the, the knowing what was needed, but not wanting to do it because it's just too hard. It's just way too complicated. It's beyond us. That's kind of how I feel about this whole deal with environmental stewardship. You don't want to hear me harangue you about the responsibilities we have as stewards of creation. People don't change. People don't, we don't we're not going to have any kind of transformation by feeling guilty. So where is the good news? Is there good news in uh, today's earth care worship? I think about, oh, a number of years ago, my, when my kids were, I was thinking about this, my kids were 17, 13, 11, and 7. Um, we took a family vacation out west. As many of you have done, uh, we have kind of intentionally wanted to show our kids different parts of the country, and especially some of the national parks. I bet a lot of you have done that. So this was a trip to Yellowstone. I'd never been, always wanted to. And so I said, hey, Peggy, let's go to Yellowstone. She said, okay. Uh, and I said, I think we should drive. We'll see more of the country. She said, I'll meet you out there. <laughs> so, so me and the four boys got in our, uh, you know, minivan and um, headed out west. And Peggy flew to Denver. And um, so I have to tell you, this was a, a really an amazing trip for us. The first day we left here and drove all the way to St. Louis, long way. And you know, the way I travel, my vacations, we don't, we don't set a destination, we don't plan a motel ahead, we just drive and we just go. And uh, I know for some of you that would be, you know, pure hell to travel with me, but that's, that's kind of how we do. So we, um, so we headed all the way and when we got to, in the back of my mind, I was hoping we would get to the St. Louis area because my father's grave is there and my kids had never seen it. My kids never knew my dad. And so I wanted them to see it and I wanted to visit his grave. It's, it's actually across the river in, Illinois, in the town of Alton, Illinois. So we get there and it's late, it's getting dark and I had no idea. This was, I think, before Google Maps and I had no idea really where I was going. It was just all going by memory. And so I find the cemetery, and of course it's closed, the gate's closed and everything, so we climb over the gate <laughs> and start walking around, and I'm trying to remember the day my dad was buried. And we walk around, and I think it's in this section. No, it's not. So we scatter out, my four sons, and we're looking in the dark, for my dad's gravestone and finally you know i just feel like i have to give up it's, it's totally dark and finally in the darkness matt um, says i found it and we all came over and stood over my dad's gravestone it was the most moving moment i can i can't tell you how much that meant to me um, that my kids could 
could do that with me. That was just the first day. The second day, we travel across the plains, third day through Nebraska. Who knew Nebraska was so cool? I mean, I mean, it's, the, it's some really awesome stuff out there, and, you know, you're, and um, a lot of history. Eventually, we get out to, to Yellowstone, and we decided, I decided, let's camp. So we decided, okay, we'll find a campground. There was a space in the park. Of course, did we have any camping equipment? No, of course not. Um, so we went, we drove out to like a Walmart or something, got a couple blankets and um, some food and um, went back and camped out and just froze because who knew that, you know, at 7,000 feet or whatever it was, it was still cold in July. So, uh, but we, we tried to huddle around the campfire and the, the whole trip was in a way, to, to use a, a religious word, it was anointed. It felt like that trip was anointed by God. The, the experience that we had looking around at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone or at all of the other sites to see, um, no one had to tell my kids that this was holy ground. No one had to tell them that this was sacred space that they were looking at. No one had to say, you know, aren't you glad that someone in their wisdom decided to set aside this land forever to protect it? No one had to explain why we would do that. They, it, it was just intuitive. We knew just being there. And you've all had those experiences at some places. I've had them right out here at Jacksonville Beach, haven't you? Just seeing a storm roll in, amazing. We've all had these times where we know we are living in a holy sacramental environment. And so what's the most appropriate response to this? I would say it is wonder, wonder. Our kids out in that national park were filled with wonder, and I was too. And really, that wonder is all around us. Psalm 8, the author says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of us? Wonder. Anselm in the 11th century said theology is faith seeking understanding. It is this wedding of wonder and science. Einstein said, mystery stands at the cradle of true science and true art. And so today, the first thing that when I think about dealing with my own resistance to hearing about, oh, all this environmental stuff that makes me feel guilty and overwhelmed, the first thing that I feel that I need to do is get in touch with a sense of wonder. 
to see and look around and notice and learn a little more and appreciate and experience that sense of awe. You know, I think the two offspring or the two fruits of wonder are wisdom and gratitude. Wisdom is the idea, uh, uh, wisdom is always a relational thing. I don't think of wisdom as some kind of pithy little saying that a philosopher comes up with. Wisdom has to do with understanding the depths of relationships. And biologist Edward Wilson, is that the same guy you mentioned? Yes. He said, we're drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. Wisdom is understanding the interconnection of all things. Quantum theory has discovered that there are these tiny subatomic particles. They aren't even really particles. They're, they're little wavelength loops. And they, they can be connected, almost choreographed, even though they're completely separate. There's this instantaneous bond between what happens in widely separate locations, as if what I do affects things in other places. Wonder's other child gratitude, of course, we're thankful for the world of nature, of course. I think my gratitude tends to be kind of narcissistic. I'm thankful for shade on a summer day. I'm thankful for a breeze. I'm thankful for a thaw in the winter. I'm thankful for a change of seasons. But thankful for insects? We've already heard how important bees are. You know, bees account for $15 billion dollars worth of crops in the way they pollinate. Do you like almonds from California? It takes 60 billion bees to pollinate the almond crop. As as Lisa said, one out of every three bites of food that we eat is related to bees. Amazing. And as one of our kids said, colony collapsed disorder is threatening them, and we're not sure we understand all about that. Okay, so bees are good, but what about wasps? I mean, wasps just stink. Well, who knew wasps also pollinate? And they uh, are predators on other insects. They help clean up dead insects. And they carry yeast around in their stomach that helps uh, pass on into grapes. So next time you drink some wine, thank a wasp. Who knew? Okay, wait a minute. We live in Florida. What about cockroaches? Okay, yeah. Oh, I've gone too far now. Cockroaches. Do you think... That's part of all things bright and beautiful. Did you know that there are medicinal uses for cockroaches? They can be used to treat 
burns or stomach flu. They're a source of protein. I mean, and I could go on. We, we actually have bug experts here in the church who've told me about this sort of stuff. So almost anything you name, if we take the time to learn about it, we would be amazed about the interconnection of all things. And we'd probably be grateful that it's there. Maybe not there in our kitchen, but there in creation. A quick little story. Uh, a guy was, had a daughter named Whitney who had cancer, and she was very near death, and she came through uh, and was completely cured. Why? Because the drug that saved her life was derived from a plant called the rosy periwinkle. The rosy periwinkle was a plant native to the island of Madagascar, 100% of all the native habitat of the rosy periwinkle is gone forever, just when we're learning about the relationship between biotechnology. And so we need to move from a spirituality of alienation from the natural world to a spirituality of intimacy with the natural world. Nothing expresses the alienation more than species extinction and endangerment, or in my opinion, plastic grocery bags. A core vocation of this church, I believe, is to be keepers of creation. That is a part of who we are. We're not just to be out on the little side table, not, you know, not a part of the real deal in the main room. That is not a peripheral or an added-on issue. It is essential. Now, Wendell Berry, a great poet, said, you know, maybe, maybe we want to focus our religion on getting into heaven, you know, a kind of a three-tier world where we avoid the bottom tier, we live now in this tier, but really we're looking forward to that top tier when we can go to heaven. If that's what Christianity is about, then we aren't going to care very much about bugs or anything else here. Wendell Berry said, the idea of heaven doesn't take religion very far. Love has to wear a face and that face is our neighborhood, our neighbors and other creatures, the earth and all its inhabitants. Every religion has some kind of golden rule, be kind to your neighbor. God lives in the neighborhood. I was walking to church today, walking through the neighborhood and came across three homeless people and also two families of ducks, the parents with the little ducklings, and then these big white birds. I don't even know what they are, but they were beautiful. And then, of course, a few insects. All part of the neighborhood. Love thy neighbor as thyself. The, I love the theological perspective of the Franciscans 
and of the Celtic tradition. They see creation as the body of God. Really, this is God's first incarnation. You remember what uh, Dr. Goyer, remember him? You know what he said on Pentecost Sunday? He said there is no distance between the spiritual world and the material world. God so loved the world. God dwells in the world, and the world groans for its rebirth. So it is the sphere of salvation, not something far away, but something right here where we live. We can't save the world, but we can love it, and we can tend it, and we can nurture the world's deep capacities to restore itself. So I wonder what you and I will do with our resistance. I wonder. Amen.